Let me ask, do you believe that God has a plot for your life? Now, some people believe that God is plotting against them. And we saw last week with Naomi that she believed that God was plotting against her. She had uh, sunk into bitterness because of the experiences that she had been going through in life. They left uh, Israel because there was famine in the land, and her husband, Elimelech, thought it would be a good idea in his eyes to go to uh, the foreign country of Moab uh, because there was food there. And while they're there, he dies. She has her two sons that are with her. They marry, but then they both die. And she is uh, sunken into grief, and at the end of that chapter, she returns uh, with her daughter-in-law, her widowed daughter-in-law, Ruth. So she believed that God was, was plotting against her, but the truth is that if, if you have trusted God, if you've taken refuge in him, that God is never plotting against you, that he is actually plotting for you. Remember Romans 8.28, God works all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And the truth is that that God is not plotting against you, uh, Christians. God is plotting for you. And this is true even in the midst of tragedy, even in the hardest times like Naomi and Ruth were going through. And it's even true in things that seem like just chance occurrences, things that seem like this is just the, the, the roll of a dice. It just seems like dumb luck being in the right place at the right time. That one of the things that we see in the book of Ruth is that God is behind all of that. Tragedy and even chance occurrences. Think of how many of the huge things in our lives are the results of sometimes things that seem just like chance occurrences. There, there's some of you here that Know the story of how Hope and I met. Hope and I both attended Moody Bible Institute. And we attended the same years. So we were freshmen at the same time. And, well, I'll just say it like this. I noticed her when we were freshmen, because she was a lot more noticeable than I was. Um, uh, I don't think she had any clue that I existed. Uh, I was just kind of one of hundreds of guys that kind of blended into the background. Okay. Uh, so I noticed her, but I never had an excuse to actually talk to her, even up through uh, our senior year. So last semester of our senior year, um, she's just a, a pretty girl that I've seen around for three and a half years. And we ended up meeting because of a mouse being in the right place at the right time. Really. At the end of our senior year, I was involved with the Residence Activities Council. And at the time at Moody, uh, they had certain lifestyle rules, uh, so we couldn't go see movies. We didn't have TVs in the dorm room. I I don't know what it is now, but it it was actually okay. Didn't miss it too much. But it was a big deal when the Activities Council, we could show a, um, a, they would approve a movie and we could show it in, uh, in the auditorium for the student body. And so one, uh, we got Mission Impossible cleared, and so we were going to watch Mission Impossible because it had come out. And sometimes before the movies, what I would do is kind of a little pre-game show. I would go up and perform songs, uh, just stupid songs on my guitar, 
just silly things, uh, just for fun. And some of you might know this, some of you won't, but this was, uh, this was in the 90s. There was a song on the radio uh, that had the lyrics that went, uh, if you want to destroy my sweater, uh, pull the thread and walk away. So, so, okay, so I changed it. Okay, the, the, they were re-releasing the Star Wars movies at the time. Okay, and so it's all guys my generation were real excited about this. So I changed the words to, if you want to destroy the Death Star, you, you shoot the exhaust port and you fly away. So I'm up there singing in my song about destroying the Death Star. And then there was a song about how I'm uh, secretly in love with Princess Leia. And so it was, it was a lot of fun, and uh, the song got over, people are applauding, and I was just going to go up to the balcony and join a bunch of my friends, and we were going to enjoy this movie. But we got done, and they turned off the, the spotlights, which were shining in my, my eyes, and they put on the movie, and I couldn't see anything. I might as, if I, if I was blind as a bat, it wouldn't have made a difference. I couldn't see anything, so I... I Seriously, couldn't even find where the seats were. So I stumbled over to the side, and I found just an empty seat in the front row, and I just sat there the whole movie, just bummed out that I, I couldn't go up and see my friends because I just couldn't make it back there. So I'm sitting there all by myself watching this movie, and when the movie finishes, they turn on the lights, and you start to hear screaming throughout the auditorium. And what had happened is... There's, there's a part in that movie um, where uh, they're, they're lowering Tom Cruise down into this chamber, and he has to, he's on a cable, and he can't touch the ground and all this. And the guy's holding him in the, in the, the vent, in the ductwork, and a rat crawls by him. And there's some people that thought it'd be a fun prank. They got a duffel bag full of mice. And at that point in the movie, they released the mice into the auditorium. The thing is, people didn't realize it until they turned the lights on. And then some girls are getting up to leave. They, they take their jacket off their lap, and there's a mouse. And so you hear screaming, and we're wondering, what is going on? And I didn't really know what was going on, but I looked, and I noticed on stage there was a little white mouse that was on just the, the front uh, center of the stage, just sitting there looking happy. So I just walk over, and I, take it, and I, I pick up the mouse, and it just so happened that Hope and one of her friends were sitting front and center. And so she said her first words to me, which was, hey, can I see your mouse? <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> Think of just chance things. God's invisible hand of providence, how he works through these things. So I think that's, as we look at Ruth 2, and we work our way through this, that's one of the things I want you to keep your mind on, is just seeing God just through normal chance things, his invisible hand directing things and working out his plan and his purposes. And I think he's been doing that all along in this whole book. He does that all along all the time, but that's a main focus of this. And we also want to look at Ruth and, and Boaz. And this also is kind of a, uh, somewhat of a how I met your mother story here. This is uh, how Ruth and Boaz came together and how they met. And I know that as we went through the book of Judges, I kept telling you, and it's good to remember that not every time we see somebody in the Old Testament or in Scripture, if his name is not Jesus, 
is not necessarily a role model in everything. But I'm glad to tell you here, we get to look at Ruth and we get to look at Boaz and we get to look at their character and what they were like. And there are some things that I think Scripture definitely wants us to pick up on as far as what the character of these two people was like. So we look at this in Ruth chapter 2 and... We gave you the, the bird's eye view reading this, and we're going to uh, go through this a little bit again. So Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And this first section, the main point is, as she went out to the field to glean, we see the character of Ruth and Boaz. And we're going to talk about uh, that here. So it mentions here Boaz in this first verse, uh, uh, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. doesn't say a lot about him right here now. It's just kind of saying, keep your eye on this guy, Boaz. He's going to be an important person in this story coming up. It also says he was a worthy man. Your translation might have something different. The Hebrew word here had pretty broad meaning. It could be used of war heroes. It could mean that he was a, a, a mighty man. So it could mean that, although... I think as we get clues here, it's not necessarily saying he was a war hero. It can mean that he was a man of standing, an influential man, and uh, a man of valor, a man of standing. But I think we're going to have to watch and see other clues here to see what kind of a man Boaz really is. What, is. what is his character like? And I think there's a lot we can go at here. And I would challenge you as we're going through here, when you see something that is about Ruth's character or Boaz's character, make a note of that. Let's make a little running list here. And it says, verse 2, And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And she went out and gleaned in the field of the reapers. Let me stop right there. Because we have to, what's going on here with, with gleaning? Now, this is part of how, in the, according to the Old Testament law, this is how God provided for those that did not have means. How God provided for, for the poor. And there were instructions about gleaning that were given one place. is in Leviticus 19, 9-10. I'll read this for you. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land... You shall not reap your field right up to the edges. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the falling grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Okay, so they have their fields planted with wheat or barley or whatever it happened to be. And they would have people go out and they would harvest the crops. And what they were told to do is, they said, do not be people that you want to squeeze every last grain out of this for yourself. They said, what you're going to do is, when you do it, you know, kind of cut the corners a little bit. So there's a little part at the edges that you're not catching. Okay? And be okay with that. Let that be. And also, when you make a pass and you go through, don't make a second pass around. You know, there's always going to be some that you miss and some that you drop. And the Lord was saying, on purpose, I want you to leave that. And that way, those that are poor 
they can come and they have some that they are going to be allowed to come on your fields and to gather some of the leftovers. And so this was a matter of how the, they were supposed to do this. Now, did everyone do this? Well, remember, this is the time of judges. People tended to do what was right in their own eyes and not necessarily what God was telling them to do. And so my guess would be that there were plenty of fields where even, even if you came, you know, uh, taking the book of Leviticus in hand and showing them this, that they wouldn't care too much. That you would be discouraged or not allowed or, or shunned or, th- or things thrown at you to get off the land because they were going to get every little last bit of this. So Ruth was hoping that she could go out because they had come back to Israel with nothing. They had no resources. They had no food. At this point, just imagine the, just the hunger and starvation that they're going through. So they get back, and Ruth says, we need to go, and we need to get some food. So I know this is part of uh, God's law that we can do this. Let me go and do this. And Naomi says, says, okay. Now, too, with this whole system of gleaning, too, I mean, there's maybe some things that we can, uh, we can learn from this as well, too. Uh, there's some balance here. Because on one hand, it was... Obviously, it's not going to operate the exact same way in our world today. Most, well, some of you have fields, but not everyone has it like that. But there's some principles. And one, it was saying, you know, don't be so greedy that we have to squeeze everything that is ours with nothing to share for those that have need. On the other side, it was also saying this wasn't just an automatic handout to people. They had to come and do the work, and they had to, they had to gather this for themselves. And no matter where you land on the political spectrum, maybe there's something there that, that everyone can learn from the principles of God's word. But as far as the character trait from Naomi, one thing that we see offhand here is that she took initiative. Naomi, I think, you know, she would have known that this was a possibility, but you don't see her volunteering, you don't see her going and gleaning. And I think part of it, she's in despair, she's in depression at this moment. I think she's just grown despondent. But Ruth seems to be the kind of person that, that you know, there's, there's two type of people. Some that say, um, please take care of me. And others that say, how can I take care of you? And she seemed to be that kind of a person. How can, uh, Naomi, mother-in-law, how can I take care of you? Let me go out and let me see if we, if we can do this. So she took the initiative to go and do this. And that was one of her character traits that she had. And then it says that, she came by, she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who's a clan of Elimelech. We're going to come back and talk about that later. She happened to come by there. And it talks about Boaz. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Verse 4. Why is that in there? I mean, that's just him greeting his workers. Now, it gives you an idea that you know, he's the owner of this. He has workers under him. He has managers under him as well. But did this really need to be in here? But it gives you a glimpse of his character too, doesn't it? That sometimes people, they may have a lot of you know, concern and politeness to people that are at their same social standing or people that are above them in social standing. But how often you know, do people care about those that are... That, that society would say, well, they're beneath you. They're beneath your social standing. But Boaz, he came and he's, he's greeting his workers. 
And he's, he's greeting them with, with a, a godly greeting. I mean, you get the sense that to work in Boaz's field was a good place for someone that loved the Lord. That he was someone that, that had a good influence. That there was a good um, a God-fearing uh, just attitude that was among the workers because of Boaz and what he put forth there, greeting those that were under him. I think this shows us too, as we look and see how he treats you know, Ruth, that it's not just because maybe we tend to think, well, he, he saw a girl and he thought she was pretty, so he's nice to her. But I think this shows from the beginning, no, this is part of his character to, towards everyone. So we see that in, in Boaz, and he starts inquiring, you know, whose young woman is this? And the, the servant who was in charge of the reaper says, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Okay, you see more things there as far about Ruth, don't we? And these are things that are said about her by others. So she has a good reputation. I mean, people had noticed that a person from Moab had came over and had actually you know, converted to worshiping the God, of, the God of Israel. And so they knew about this. They knew of, uh, you see, her faithfulness and her loyalty to her mother-in-law, how she was willing to leave everything. But also, you have here the manager. He's, he's in charge of noticing his workers and which ones are hard workers, which ones are lazy, which one's um, doing more talking than, than reaping. And I think he's impressed that this is, he, his eye is noticing this. She came early in the morning, and she's been going at it full throttle. She had a short break, but she's been just going at this. So Ruth, not only is uh, she take initiative, but she is hardworking. She is industrious. She's also humble and polite. Notice he says that she came and she, she asked permission. You know, she said, please. What, what a lost art that is for so many in our culture today and uh, some of our you know, kids as well, too. Um, was, how important it is just to common courtesy and, and politeness. And we see in her humility, she didn't presume, I have a right to do this. She didn't have a sense of entitlement. So we see that going on with her. And then Boaz says to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. He, he says, do not go glean in another field or, or leave this one. S- stay close to my young women. So you had probably men and women working in the field. Uh, probably the, the men were doing the, a lot of the reaping and women were doing the gathering probably. And he's saying, stay close to, to my women. And we see later on he's saying part of this is he wants to protect her too. If you remember from the book of Judges, there, there was people, even in Israel, that were doing awful, awful, terrible things. I mean, there's a story at the end where two travelers are coming to a, a town in Israel, and a man tells them, do not stay in the town square at night. You do not want to do that. And, and bad things did end up happening. People get violated. People get, uh, get attacked and abused and, and killed. So he's saying, my pe- stay with my people. We will keep you safe. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? He's saying, you're not going to mess with her. She's, 
even though she's a, a Moabitess, you be good to her or you're going to deal with me. And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Verse 10, we see Ruth's response. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Again, we see just a a sense that she was not demanding. She didn't have a sense of just expectation, but she was filled with gratitude for this. And then we see more in Boaz's reply. He says, he answers her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. You have a good reputation. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Think of the bravery she must have had to be able to do that as well. To leave everything behind. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And there's the, the climax of it that he appreciates. He realizes you've come to take refuge under the wings of the God of Israel, that you have sought him out, that you're, you're trusting in him. And that was the part of her character that Boaz so deeply appreciated you. Lord, repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord of Israel. Verse 13, then he, she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And then we see there's mealtime, and Boaz says, come here, and he, he gives her some bread, and he uh, dips a morsel in the wine, gives it to her, and she sat beside the weeper, reapers. He passes her roasted grain, and it says she ate till she was satisfied. When do you think's the last time she ate till she was satisfied? And we take that for granted, because no matter where we're at, around here, we usually get to eat until we're full. In most of the world and in ancient times, that was a rare thing to eat until you were satisfied. And then when she rose to glean again, Boaz, he goes above and beyond the requirements. Look at what he does here. He says he instructs his young men. He says, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Remember, according to the law, she could go in the corners where they didn't harvest and she could pick over the leftovers. But he tells to his guys, you know what, if she wants to go in the main stuff that hasn't been harvested yet, you know, don't, don't reproach her for that. Let her do that. We're, we're giving her rights to, to do that. And then he goes on to say, even, you know what, if she's going to the part that's picked over, I want you to take some of what you got and just kind of drop some. You'll leave extra there for her. Let's make it easy for her as well. Pull out some from the bundles and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So we see a few things. There's many things we can get from Ruth's character. She had initiative, politeness, humility, industriousness, loyalty that she showed to her mother, and trust in the Lord. And you could add to that list and meditate on this as far as character for, for, for a godly Christian, for a, a godly woman. You notice what's missing from this list? You know what's from missing from anything that's listed in this chapter? And in our society, be the number one thing. There's no mention of her, of her appearance. There's no mention of her outward beauty. 
And our society tells you that's the main thing, especially for, for you ladies, that it's about your outward appearance and that's what you need to be concerned about. That's the type of beauty that you should be seeking. And that's the type of uh, what you need to be using if you want to a- attract someone into your life. You need to be focusing on this. But that's not what Boaz, there's no indication at all that that's what he was looking at. She, may have, she was probably a lovely girl. Now later on, Boaz says he's surprised that she was interested in him. But that's not what's mentioned here. Boaz was drawn to Ruth because of her character, not her looks. And I want to say this to, to the, the, the girls and the young ladies that are here. I think this is so important. Just realize this. The type of fish that you catch is going to be determined by the kind of bait that you use. If you are using the bait that the the world tells you, that probably most of your friends at school or at college or at the workplace tell you, it's all making yourself physically attractive, being a, a, a physically beautiful person, and maybe using that in the right way with flirtatiousness or whatever. But the type of bait that you use is going to determine the kind of fish that you catch. And if that's the bait that you're using, the kind that you will catch is a person that is primarily interested in that. But for a guy like Boaz to, to have someone like that drawn to you, use a different type of bait, the bait of godly character. I think what Boaz was like, his character, godliness, kindness, respect, compassion, protection, generosity. It's kind of surprising we don't see more Christians naming their sons Boaz. This was a top-notch guy. I think if his name didn't sound a little bit silly, maybe we'd have more Boazes out there. And guys, let me say this to you. If you hope to catch a girl like Ruth, grow to become a guy who is like Boaz. So we see the character of them. And one more thing I wanted to point out too, back in verse 3, so we see them coming together, we see them drawn towards each other in a godly way. But notice in verse 3 it says, she happened to come to the field of Boaz. This just happened to you know, she could have gone to any, and this, this just happened. I think it's interesting, in, in Hebrew, it literally says, as chance chanced, she came to that field. So in our way of speaking, it would say, as luck would have it, or it just so happened. Do you believe anything actually just happens by chance? I want to tell you, I firmly believe that even things that we view as just chance occurrences are directed by the invisible hand of God. The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. That in a way, without violating the natural course of things, God works these things out in his, in his providence. And that as chance chance, God's invisible hand of providence was at work. I don't think anything happens by chance, and I don't think the author of the book of Ruth does either. The word providence, that's a, it's a, a 
great word that I think is important for Christians to learn what this is. Because realize, nothing miraculous has really happened here. These are all normal things, normal cause and event type things. And when God is directing things and he, he supervenes and he causes a, an effect that wouldn't have happened, you know, he changes some uh, laws or he makes it so that there's a supernatural occurrence. We call that a miracle. But most of the time, God is working through just providence, through ordinary things. And he provides to us, providence provides in that way. And really, providence kind of has three parts classically, that God upholds all things, that he works in and through all things, and that he is sovereign over and governs all all things. He has the whole world in his hands. I think of the story of Hope and I meeting because of a mouse, being in the right place. Think of how many things had to happen just right for that to occur. Okay? What if they picked a different movie? It wouldn't have happened. What if these guys hadn't decided to do the thing with the mouse? Okay? All these, they release a thing of mice, and it's the second half of the movie, the mouse makes it to the right place that it needed to be. Okay? What if somebody, the mouse is going along through the seats, and somebody moves their foot, and the mouse goes this way instead of that way, Hope and I never meet, okay, because I never get the, the courage to actually talk to her. And so we never meet. Our children are never born. Our lives go different directions, and we are never here in Middleville at all, much less at First Baptist Church of Middleville. How God works. It's amazing when you think about all this. But God works these things out by his providence. And looking at the second part, and we're not going to, we won't read all of this, and I appreciate Pastor Nick for the scripture reading, but we see that also that God's kindness does not forsake those who have taken refuge under his wings. I do want to look at verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was an ephah of barley. Okay, so she gets, the, she gets the, the, the barley and then she has to beat it out so it's just the grain. And she brings it home, it's an ephah. And we're supposed to be impressed by that, that it's an ephah of barley. Okay, I, I don't know how much an ephah is. Um, so I had to look this up and, and find out and let it sink in. Because remember, they're going out. What was their hope? Probably Ruth is going out looking for scraps and leftovers if she can even find a place that her, let her do this, and Naomi's back there probably hoping that she's going to come maybe with a, a cup full of grain that they can make, maybe just some bread so they can survive another day. And instead she comes back with an ephah. Now an ephah is, depending on which measurement and how they, they figure this out, is between... is between 30 and 50 pounds of raw grain that she brought back. So this here, this is a 40-pound bag of uh, chicken food here. Okay, so she didn't have chicken food, but uh, just to give you some idea, I thought between 30 and 50, we'll split the difference and go with 40. So imagine, imagine Naomi's response. 
Ruth comes back. She's wondering, did you have a good day? Do you have a, a little cup for us so we can have something? And she comes in, and she can probably barely hold this. This is probably a good percentage of her body weight to carry this in or in stages or to have help or I don't know how she got it in. Okay, this would have been weeks worth of food for them. Weeks worth. I think that Naomi's eyes were popping out of her head when she saw this. She comes in with an ephah full of barley she took it to her mother and they, they ate and they were satisfied and they had left over. You know, God, in his providence, God will give you abundantly more than you could ever dream of asking. She did not go at expecting this to come back with this kind of provision. And how often is it that we have needs And at the end, we realize God has given us so much more than we could have imagined. Maybe not the exact type of thing that we imagined it would be, but so much more. And we go on and we we see in here, she asks who this person was. (laughs) What field did you go to? Who was this? And she says, the man's name with who I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi, her gears start turning here. And this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. That's going to be important later. We'll talk about that in a, next week. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi, she's thinking, Oh, good sign. And Naomi said to Ruth, your daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. God will provide more than we can imagine. And sometimes he takes care of our physical needs. Sometimes he does that. And I know, you know, there are some churches that it's all about health and wealth. And they would hear that and they would immediately think, God's going to give you the money you need. He's going to put it into your bank account. He's going to you know, heal you of all diseases and take care of you that way. You know, and sometimes God does great things in those ways. But that is not the most important thing. Actually, not even close. Look back up here in, in, verse, in verse 20. Naomi says, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, she wants to bless Boaz, but when it says, whose kindness, whose kindness is it talking about? We might be tempted to think it's talking about Boaz, but many commentators, they look at this in the way the Hebrew is written, they say, the kindness here, this is, talking, this is the Lord's kindness that he is giving to us. That the Lord is the one that has shown this kindness. He's shown it through Boaz, because God does often use people to show his kindness in people's lives, but it's a kindness from the Lord. And you know what? Barley or all these things, health and wealth, no. The best thing that the Lord can give to you is for you to experience his loving kindness. For you to experience that in your life. 
You know, this, this word here for kindness, you know, for us in English, it just kind of seems like, oh, someone, they um, were kind to you and they let you, uh, you know, go in front of you at the aisle at, at Sam's Club or something like that. And that, that's a kind thing. But this word here, this is a rich word in Hebrew. It's, we see it often. It's the word hesed. And sometimes it's translated in some versions as loving kindness. It can be translated, the ESV often has a steadfast love. It carries the idea of covenant faithfulness. One commentator says, it wraps up the entire cluster of concepts. Love, mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, benevolence, loyalty, covenant faithfulness. And we see it many places in Scripture. The Lord, the Lord is a, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, hesed, and faithfulness. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love, his hesed, endures forever. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his, his hesed, his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Surely goodness and hesed shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But I have trusted in your, your hesed, your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The best thing that the Lord can give you is not material things, it's not health or wealth, it's to experience his loving kindness. Because that's experience of himself and who he is. And I'll tell you this, because it's so valuable, if the Lord needs to take away some of those other things, if he needs to take away wealth, if he needs to take away health, in order for you to experience his loving kindness, he is willing to do that out of love for you. Because that is the best thing that he can give to you. Psalm 63.3 Because your hesed, your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And this was for those who take refuge under his wings. Where do we go for refuge? Where do we go for our safety? Where do we go for our security? And so those that take refuge under his wings, the picture here is of a, is a, of, of a bird with, with, uh, with, with the chick under the wing protecting it. And that God is willing to give us that protection, that warmth, that nurture, that, that loving kindness, that covenant faithfulness to us. If we will take refuge under him. And for us, we know that ultimately this is through Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came and died on the cross to pay the price for anyone that will put their trust in him and their salvation. And how do you receive that? You receive that by by, by taking refuge in Him, making Him your hope, putting your, your confidence, your trust in Him. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. Psalm 57, 1-3, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings. I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to the Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out His steadfast love 
Christ's hesed and his faithfulness. If you've taken refuge under the Lord's wings, then you can know that because of his steadfast love, that the Lord is never plotting against you. Even in chance happenings and even in the hardest times, God is plotting for you. Let's pray. Faithful, faithful God, we give you praise. We thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you that those who have taken refuge under your wings, you will never forsake us. You will never leave us. That you will work genuine good in our lives. And the best thing that you can do is to lead us to yourself. And that is better than any material blessings. That is better than our health. That is better than life. And so God, help us to remain there under your wings. And God, for anyone here that is out on their own, pray that they would trust you through Jesus Christ and they would take refuge in you before they leave this room by faith coming and taking refuge. You long to gather them under your wings. We give you praise. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.